to catch the roundabout who are we going to talk about george orwell well sort of not exactly actually 1996 oh, or actually what is it actually actually totally hey if you don't if you don't stop misbehaving i'm gonna send, I'm gonna send you to an animal farm <laughs> unbelievable so we, we the, the reason i i say that george orwell is because we're going to cover, we like the 1970s, but music more powerful than, you know, anything else. There's two things in the 1970s that relate to George Orwell that musically are just potently powerful. They're like mm. the strongest cup of coffee or the strongest drink, whatever you want to say. And we'll talk about two today. One, Diamond Dogs by David Bowie. One perspective using on an Orwell book, 1984. The other, Animals from Pink Floyd. Uh, focusing on the book Animal Farm. And it's interesting because they're two different uh, ways of looking at same stuff, similar stuff in different ways and coming out with... And the time periods they cover them are fantastic. I'll, I'll, I wanted to hear your thought. You most recently listened to both albums, but I'll start with... I mean, I listened to it many years ago. Most right. recently when you mentioned the idea of, of this, I revisited and... Uh, and the thing with me is uh, I never focus much on lyrics and in general and, and English not being my first language uh, it was much easier when I was a kid started listening to to uh, rock and roll and to like, music in English in general you know since age of 11 I really got into it and I would listen to all, all of these records but it was always sonic quality that would uh, that would bring me in. I mean, not just sonic quality. I mean, the emotion. First, the emotion and the uh, and the sonic quality of of the albums and of how the words were delivered and everything. So I uh, I rarely really got into the content and like especially like political background of everything. But now, I mean, knowing uh, 1984 and uh, like content of the book, and then uh, now that you pointed out, now thinking about. Uh, content of the albums and like cultural content of it all I find it so fascinating too the thing is like uh, when I listened to to it the other day again I ended up uh, just enjoying the sonic you know right. vibe, vibe of both albums and uh, and uh, for example listening to Dogs again from Pink Floyd Animals album I mean when I really and it really hit me so much how great the album was is when uh, when David Gilmore played uh, that solo on Dogs. Yes. That I'm sure, I'm sure he was uh, 
advised as much as uh, Roger Waters' good advice seemed to kind of create some kind of like a dog uh, whining uh, sound, which he, uh, I mean, he created his own beautiful guitar. Agreed. Kind of uh, echo of, of that idea. So, so for me, these two albums are amazing, both on their, on their own. And uh, knowing a little bit of backstory makes it even more uh, wanting to check them out because, you know, that's what brings us to Agreed. albums. You know, we right. both grew up on albums and... Uh, Agreed, sir. What, I think what I was going to say was I came to both albums the same way. I, did, I didn't know who Joe Joel was, right? Mm -hmm. And sonically, both albums. Now, for Diamond Dogs, starting with David Bowie, it's amazing how you could hear a song like Rebel Rebel on the yeah. radio and love the, it. And that's the one. I mean, I, I think it. it's about the Rebel Rebel really broke right. it and like, became a hit. So, right. So you know, oh, that's the album with Rebel yeah. Rebel. The, 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 that's what you think. That's what and I The did. cover was very kind of bizarre and, and bowish. Yeah. So uh, I know. I, 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 I like that. that. There's something uneasy about it, you know. Plus, yeah. I mean, there's something uneasy about 1984 too. So that's the only the only songs that were from that that I knew. I mean, Rebel Rebel was a hit in itself, and I thought it was rebelling against your parents. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's great. I hope I meet a woman like that, you know. <laughs> and then here, the song 1984, which has the uh, the orchestra, the piano, and this cool dystopian sound. But I didn't care. I didn't. You know, you didn't have to relate it totally to the book, but it was very unique with a little almost pre-disco thing going on. Oh as far yeah, as yeah, oh that, that's that, that, that's amazing. A wah -wah pedal. But it's like, I mean, you have the Tony Visconti producer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the the yeah. amazing thing about it, you know, they kind of creep that in, but in very kind of uh, dystopian way. Right. <laughs> it's kind of it's uh, you know it's not like a clean kind of violin right. lines. I mean, they they really they nail the feel of it. So it's kind of like almost loose, dirty. But still playing those kind of disco, disco. Very, films. very unique. With, with that full dirty arrangement, it's great. It's, it's really, a, it's a masterpiece. It's masterpiece of production. I think both albums are masterpiece of production. So they had their content, they had their content ready, and everything was, you know, their, you know, reactions and their musical, artistic visions and political view, you know. But the thing about, like, sonic quality of both albums, it's like it, it's beyond. When I first heard Diamond Dogs, the song, I used to skip it when I had changes. I used to just skip it because it sounded like a Rolling Stones song to me. Not in a bad way. I don't know why. I was like, ooh, I need more exciting Bowie or something. Whatever I was thinking. But when you listen to it, you're like, okay, cool. It opens the album. But then, so I fully enjoyed the music without, you know, before you're in high school and you're talking about George Orwell. George Orwell, for everybody that, I think everybody knows who he is. But anyway, he was a British writer who was a member of the Socialist Party that felt that was the way to go. And then, after his deeper exploration, came to some different conclusions and said, I'm going to write about it, because he saw the extent of one direction. So when he wrote 1984 as a, an interesting idea of a, of a book, uh, you know, it got made into a couple of movies. Mm -hmm. Right, so the last movie was in 1984 to coronate 1984 with Richard Burton, John Hurt, and that was very visual, great part of the screenplay. The thing that's it, they made they made another one like I think in the 50s or 60s, but the quality is different. When you look at rock music, a rock album, an LP, long player, the idea of taking that book from an artist has to be a really, really invested. Mm -hmm. process David Bowie with a with, I'm not saying it's his bag of money because he had all sorts of 
financial problems with Tony DeFrius throughout the 1970s that would make him not what he wanted to be by 1980. But he became very immersed in this idea of, I need to do a play of 1984. Oh, yeah. And very into, like, I'm going to... I'm going to showcase this. And he contacted George Orwell's yeah, widow. I, I read about that, actually. This is the first, first time that you mentioned about it. You know, the, I read the Wikipedia and stuff. And she, uh, she denied the rights. <laughs> she said, I think it's interesting that she did deny the rights. <coughs> but maybe, but, but she had, you know, because rock music for it's her a, must have not been, you know, uh, it wasn't, she's from a different time. Yeah. yeah so, but I think for David Bowie, these are just mm -hmm. observation things. Uh, when you look at the way he the way he spoke and looked at let's say England and that album and wanting to do that, he saw more the Cold War threat from one way. He saw it as um, he might have said too much because he got in trouble a little bit later. So in other words, he's like, I must make the and he goes, you know what? I, fine, I can't make a play of 1984. I can't make the rights. I'll make my own 1984 kind of thing, and. The album's beautiful, but then if you read the book, I had an ex-girlfriend in Manhattan when I lived in the 90s who, she had a bookshelf. She's like, no, we're not going to watch TV. You're going to read. I'm like, okay, fine. I read 1984. The song We Are the Dead is perfectly, you know, a part in that book that they, when they're trying to hide on the big government scheme and have their little eclectic time and the shopkeeper, the guy who they think is cool, turns them in anyway and government comes in. So when they say in the in the in the book and the movie, they're staring at the picture on the wall and they're like like thinking they're the last and they're like we are the dead. A voice comes out of the wall, and goes, "You are the dead," and ruins everything. The government comes in, jackboots, helicopters, you know, and scoots scoots Winston Smith and Julia away to misery and torture. So in the in the album for David Bowie, when he does "We Are the Dead," there's just this this amazing creeping tone to the song, let's say you don't know about the book, that just makes it a unique song. And him use, so source material for him, I think, was interesting. The beginning of Diamond Dogs, when you hear the, the phrase, lats as big as cats, that's a phrase in the book. You know, so as you go through, and he changes things with lyrics to just give you a picture of misery, uh, but when he gets towards the, um, the end after 1984, uh, you know, we love you, big brother, and all that stuff. He does poetically say the human urge to say, have things done for you or have a bigger vision, do stuff for you when you're not sure what to do with your life at the time, which appealed in different parts of philosophy, right? And Bowie does that. So by the time you listen to this album, you're like, okay, cool, great album. I get it. Don't be into, you know, big government and, and things like that. Now, when he changed his identity, as he always did, right? He went from Ziggy Stardust yeah, yeah, yeah. to this, to that, to Diamond Dogs, to Thin White Duke. When he got towards Thin White Duke territory and he started talking, he kind of said something about in Europe about, yeah, communism's bad, but he might have tipped his hat ever so slightly towards fascism, according to the press. Not maybe his words. Maybe there was a thin line between all of these uh, yeah, isms he... in general. So and kind of any <laughs> any of building your identity with any 
isms is becomes a problem eventually. You know? I think he was on drugs and he wasn't really making a yeah, grand okay, statement. Kind of, yeah. I think I think so, what he said so accurately <laughs> stereotype. That's that's what it is. I think he kind of was I like, mean, Wow, Tony DeFries is yeah. ripping me off. I'd love to experience capitalism if I could ever get any of the money. So he was Iggy Pop's manager also and, mm -hmm. and that, that relationship stopped at some point. So when David Bowie eventually you know, moved out of Diamond Dogs and into the Berlin period to do albums like Heroes and Low, um, he very much was in an area that adopted the philosophy of big government and mm -hmm. living that. And so, you know, he used different words to express that. And those are very iconic albums that really um, are not based in a book. It's him living that experience. Mm -hmm. Diamond Dogs is based in a book, right? So this concept of, of uh, 1984 being born out, fascinating. So that's one view. I don't know if you want to say anything else about Diamond Dogs before we uh, touch on our other friends. Greatness of Tony Visconti. I Tony. think that that's what uh, shouldn't be forgotten, you know. I don't think it and his uh, And his role in uh, David Bowie's career in general. I mean, he came back later yeah. in his career, too, yeah. to, to I, work on I mean, stuff. He, he did the last... Uh, he, he, he took like, yeah, the, there was a period where Tony Visconti uh, stops, mm -hmm. now Rogers begins, <laughs> all yeah. these other production episodes, and then all of a sudden you move all the way towards, uh, the, specifically Tony Visconti on the 2013 album Today, I think it was called, with Tony Levin on bass. That's a Visconti mm -hmm. production. So eventually, mm -hmm. kind of everything comes, comes around. Yeah, it was recorded in New York. Yeah. City, I think they were, yeah. They were both they're both New York guys definitely definitely the case but like um, so relating to someone who's like wow gee I think I'll go read 1984 you could do that it doesn't add or subtract from the album Diamond Dogs they just it just makes it more interesting if you care if you don't care I guess you're hitting pause or click on the podcast right now. But, <laughs> and go and listen to both albums. So. Right? You'll but do then, yourself a favor. Essential stuff. Essential, essential stuff. stuff people. So then look at where, where David Bowie was when he made Diamond Dogs. At that point, making big fat rock albums and guys, that are, the record companies that are like, yeah, sure, we'll bankroll that project. It's artistic. It's wonderful. The market and the wind was at the back of the creator, the progressive rock guys, the guys making all these big ideas. Yeah, hey, yeah, let's do Tales of Topographic Ocean. Mm -hmm. Sure. For yes, let's do four sides. Yeah, there, were, a, there were budgets. <laughs> there were budgets. And there were... Probably... Sorry. Probably reached uh, the heights for that uh, era and then uh, pummeled with, within like two years. Right. Went to the, and then know, everything the started to change. Bankrupt and... Uh, but I think I think Bowie always found his ways. He always found he found he was he was daring. I mean, you know, it's it's art. It's like one of a kind. There are not not many people that can brand and rebrand themselves and actually brand themselves as uh, rebranding products. Right. <laughs> Something that that you expect to change. You know, you if you uh, probably if you release like three albums with the same kind of style, he would be you know forgotten. You yeah. Know? So. The thing that Pink Floyd did that other people may have not had the luxury for was having a record company putting a big budget behind success, right? Because Dark Side of the Moon was proof that they had success. They went into doing Wish You Were Here in some kind of group spirit that became slightly fractured. And then, again, more space by the time you get to 1977. And that space 
It almost takes us to another yeah, to animals. And by the way, the album was uh, released just two weeks before I was born. So that's my connection oh, to the album. Wow! So it's very, very important. It's essential information, people. January twenty wow. first, second of look at uh, that of nineteen seventy. Look at your connection. Is it on your birth certificate? The uh, the uh, the animals album? It's, no, uh, it, it, it's written like in small. I'm gonna look again. I think they thank you, maybe, or they welcome you, something yeah. like that. But uh, now look at any child yeah. born within the next few weeks shall some some prophecy. But now back to our friend George Orwell for a second. Well, 1984 was a widely influential bludgeoning book. The book Animal Farm, equally uh, influential. But now that I think about it, like right in this podcast, it, it can relate to the individual. What happens in like families or on a farm, like the like the book talks about. Simple, short version of the book without spoiling anything is really uh, these animals are on a farm. One day they rebel, they kick out the farmers, and they say, "Ah, eh, we're taking over." And it becomes different divisions, and they start making different laws, and they start contradicting each other, and then greed takes over, in the collective sense, and just new rules get made. And this is how Orwell was watching. Uh, the magic of, uh, of, of, let's say, socialism in England and communism in Eastern Europe play the game. So when you look at the book, the farm animals are going through this phase and you get Pink, I mean, Roger, then, then Pink Floyd was going through their own phase. There was a democracy possibly on Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah, I, I mean, he criticizes more Western society than Eastern, actually, there. He does. I mean, Eastern, Western, yeah. Uh, than those, so it's kind of, uh, I mean, it's, it's their own vision of the... He doesn't make it, he doesn't totally do bad guy is business guy, yeah. and good guy is government guy. He does go to the edge to say, if you, if you give someone the ability to take power of a... And he, in Dogs, the song, he's specifically talking about an opportunist business person because of the nature of the lyrics, who... Is just happy to keep mashing over people and then ends up being a you know pathetic individual now is that what orwell perceived when he when he had the book that you know is a dog um a government bureaucrat or a business person it can be both as as time moved away from that time period there was always that bleed over between the cronyism. I mean, it's, it's very universal the crony yeah, the cronyism of big business become government guy and so forth so it's very powerful in the lyrics because you can visualize what he's saying. But with Inside Pink Floyd, and I'm thinking about this now, Roger Waters himself emerges to push the other three and marginalize the other three. Democracy changes with Inside Pink Floyd. You could use the word that they were a democratic band, but Roger Waters is like, I'm taking over. And he does. But did he take over the art in a way that was super artful? I say absolutely yes. Did he bring out the best in David Gilmour, probably more than David Gilmour was able to really yeah, know or appreciate. Uh, Animals is a great example. I mean. Animals is amazing. But then, when you go lyrically to a song like Pigs, right, and you might say White House, and as far as the politician in England, keep in mind, this is pre-Thatcher England, but it's moving that way. England has economic problems, and depends on who you want to blame. You want to yell at uh, unemployed coal miners, or you want to yell at people down over, uh, you know, towards the, the parliament building. That's not the thing. Roger Waters, though, is saying, hey, this is happening. England is in decline. England is not doing well. And he's targeting, 
He's saying, look, dogs are bad. He gets onto the pig thing. He makes his lyrics clear if you listen to the album. But, you know, the last song on the album, Sheep, that's supposed to be like us, right? That's supposed to be the victim. And Orwell goes over these animals, and Roger Waters looks at it with a little bit of a different lens, but so powerful. But uh, I think it brings me to another thing. I think animals is a great example. Why do we stereotype certain animals in a certain way, and why do we kind of connect certain people with... uh, I mean, think about it. I mean, dogs in a, you know, on animals album, it's kind of something like positive. Uh, no, 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 uh, it's a negative. You know, you kind of like the one who takes over, the one who is. Right. But, uh, dogs are very beloved. Uh, as uh, as the most tolerant uh, to humans, to <laughs> most loving to humans. Right. It isn't that. Uh, I was never a dog. Uh, I never been a dog owner, but uh, you know, I know uh, how much people connect to them. So I'm thinking, you know. Dogs spell well, backwards. Which, which, which dogs? Which breed are you talking about here? Dogs, which dogs? Dogs spell backwards. Like, yeah. You can't lose. Totally loyal, right? So you're right. Yeah, but, but, but now on the whole, and, and then pigs again. You know, it's very kind of. I mean, they're they're very, they're dirty. They like to roll around in the I mud. Mean, people eat them. You know, people easily use them for whatever they want to use them, and uh, right. It's uh, and then uh, they make movie about them uh, about uh, that there's that uh, famous babe movie which is connected with, oh. <laughs> this, with this animals. Yeah, I think it's, you've been looking at the kids books recently. Yeah. So it's kind of uh, yeah. Charlotte. I mean yeah. What well, what are pigs supposed to do? Charlotte's what? Web. Is that like police yeah. or like I, I don't know. So the pig. But it's funny the pig. So if someone says, "Hey, you're eating like a pig," or <laughs> "You're being a pig." Or, hey, pig. <laughs> or you know yeah, what? He's, pig, you know? He bled out like a stuffed pig. <laughs> so there's all negatives with it. Let me kiss you, my pig. You know? Right? That, that, that kind of stuff. Oh, oh, you know what? That's like a pig with lipstick on it. All these bad things we think about pigs. But <laughs> but it was funny. Roger Waters like... Yeah, but it's, yeah, I think it's phenomenal. For, he does yeah, it well. But then sheep... What about animal lover societies, you know, who are really into into certain breeds? You know, I'm sure they favor certain animals over over others how how would they react to animals album would there be a complaint or like so you think would, would you, it be politically correct or incorrect so you want to listen to animals album in okay. 2021 no? so you want to put a PETA sticker <laughs> on the animals album and say this shouldn't encourage you or you get a vegan or vegetarian thing going hey don't get any ideas like, this album like is a dog. is a warning yeah, don't freaking eat these things like who do you think you are thing right you know, like yeah like who is this guy you know yeah. talking about dogs in not that loving way kind of right Labeling people who are maybe not that positive as, as dogs, or, right? Yeah, Th- that's what that's what's fascinating. What I think was. so. But think about both both bookends of the album has uh, pigs on the wing. Yeah, one and, uh, and, and two. two. Yeah, and Waters, who was married multiple times, going through multiple changes in his life, he's like, oh, I was you know dedicating that to my love at the time. He kind of opens it. Every next one being older than the one. Right. Yeah. Well, probably. I mean, he's just. He just moves around a lot, right? But like the fact that he opens the album with a, a song of, let's call it hope, before he goes into absolute hopelessness and despair of dogs, pigs, and sheep, and then he closes the album out with, oh, look, another love song, a mini love song. Don't don't give up. Don't worry. Well, is there a love song buried in, um, it, there's a love thing buried in 1984, which gets obliterated. In um, Animal Farm, there's no love story. It's like animals fighting over stuff and who can go in the house and who gets more food and things like that. It's not really a romance book. But the, um, so the way he, he, 
I think the way Waters makes it a very interesting album is that, again, it, he's not pure Orwell of saying, hey, all the government guys are bad and you're going to starve because this communist cabal of animals is going to take place. There's traits that everybody, as you see, in a government says, hey, I want money, I want power, but you know what? The last one's true. Everybody gets treated like sheep. And people say, well, you're being the sheep or you're wanting to be the sheep. But that's not necessarily a totally willful thing. And I think that, ironically, when you look at the whole album, that's probably the fastest song in terms of uh, pace and tempo. And David Gilmore goes to town on the guitar. And Roger Glover sounds like he's at that point. Roger just, Lutters, He sounds like he's yeah. high on some kind of... Uh, Roger field. Lutters. We're going to talk about Roger Glover in the other one, which is like another great... Another great that's another one. Yeah. Can't believe the two Rogers, yeah. but I was going to do something that just came to my mind. Mm -hmm. When you have the Orwell, let's call it, issue thing between the two albums in the 70s, you know, in the mid-80s, there was an album called uh, When the Winds Blow. It was a cartoon. It was a film soundtrack where Roger Waters and the Bleeding Hearts Band, as his band was in the 80s, do half the soundtrack. And David Bowie does a song on the very same album called When the Winds Blow. So have the two parties ever met? I say they did there. But then again... In 2006, after Sid Barrett died, uh, David Bowie came out at a David Gilmore concert and they did the song Dark Globe and they also did Arnold Lane live on stage, even with Rick Wright there. So has there been the two parties working together? Sure, in doses, not about the same issue because look what happens in the 70s. People getting caught up on, wow, look, the record company's paying for my big record with my Orwell concept. But in the mid-80s, everyone's like, oh my God, nuclear war. Oh, we have to make an album. We have to worry about this. So, I mean, altogether, I thought they were brilliant albums to talk about. I would love anybody out there to listen to both albums. Diamond Dogs by Bowie, Animals from Pink Floyd, for sure. And maybe we can add two more... Uh 1984 albums to this episode. Uh, can you do that? Yeah. Within the same episode? Based on the book or the year? No, we can just, uh, oh, you just base it uh, based on a title. Oh. 1984 by uh, Anthony Phillips. Oh, now you're really going Prague yeah. on me? You're going to the Prague fog? <laughs> Damn, son! But not, but, but not completely. How about 1984 by, by Van Halen? Oh, I mean, the other on. end of the spectrum. <laughs> yeah. Right, when you hear the phrase... So, so this is... That's uh, true, I, yeah. It, you see how universal music is, right. how it connects so many genres. It's 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 beyond it's beyond branding. And if it's you beyond really identity, it's, well, you it's open really, you open the door. So Hugh Hopper, bass player for Soft Machine, what was his first solo album? Nineteen eighty four. You know what I, I mean? You know what I find more fascinating about that album? And this is why music artists are wonderfully artists at that time. If you're in Soft Machine and you leave Soft Machine and you're like, I'm going to go explore my music, everything costs money. He went and got a bank loan just to make the 1984 album. How'd you like to be the officer underwriting that one based on future sales, huh? I mean, <laughs> not that. I mean, it's, 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 but the fact that you think you can do that and you just do it anyway, before you got beat up by record company, your landlord, your wife, your banker. I mean, you're just like, I need to make this album an instrumental 1984. I must do this. And I know it's funny. If you read the description for Hugh Hopper, he goes, 
He goes, yeah, that was kind of my, my tribute to James Brown. I don't hear a lick of James Brown in there, by the way. I'm kind of like, really? Oh, yeah, it's so I mean, it's like music inspires people in different ways. Like, you know, I'm like, I'm yeah, like that's what I was thinking. But, but like, Anthony Phillips is an interesting guy. He, I, the 1984 album he made was, was very unique. But he, um, he leaves Genesis because he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, I don't like performing in public. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid. I got to go. Bye. <laughs> And, and then, you know, Steve Hackett gets a job. Like, hey, no problem, I'll do it. And then Van Halen, when you get that album, which, you know, listen, is a nice Ted Templeton-produced album. That was uh, the last of the David Lee Roth albums where you can find love and hate for different ends. I thought it was a great album. It opens with a very dire keyboard section of about a minute and a half or two minutes where you really feel like you're going into a George Orwell world of mystery and sonic possibilities. And then it goes right into jump where the keyboard kicks in and it, it just says, yeah, the party, you know, like, hey, Panama, hey, hot for teacher. So you're not that worried. You're like, wait, I was worried about the future in the beginning, but now I'm not worried about the future. If you haven't heard the jump by Van Halen, listen to that introduction, you will, you will hear. Which, and the, and the song jumps. And the song uh, Jump was remade in 1988 by Aztec Camera. I mean, mm. a band from the alternative and scene just saying, you know what, let's remake Jump. Good. That's, that's, that's the beauty of music. It, really, it goes beyond genre. It's, it just travels, you know. That's what we are doing here, actually. We are, I mean, really? We share our, you know, our own perce perception of music that we love, we all love, and uh, music that maybe you listen or maybe you will listen. And actually, just one more question before uh, we finish. What do you think? If George Orwell was alive now and he was writing a book that was supposed to be 1984, what would be the name of it? Which year would he choose now? From this perspective, we are in... Right, from this perspective. So you cannot go too far in the future. You have, you have to hit the year. 1984, it's so soundful. I think he, he really nailed it there. I mean, it could have been 1985. What, what about now? I, I have a year. I, I already chose, I think. You chose it? Yeah. So, what what if, so if I say this? numbers that go together like yeah. like 2042. <gasps> man, almost, man. Get I was uh, like 2044. That was mine. So, see, so we, are, we are very... See, so maybe, that, maybe we can write the book together. Because it sounds cool, but it's going to happen as well. But what's going to happen is when you get to... Because I remember... I don't know what you were doing that New Year's Eve, but this is how stupid I was. 1984 comes, 83 goes into 84. I was home. I was like 14 or 15, right? I can tell you what they And my parents, my parents were like, had people over. I ran upstairs and I'm like, okay, time to play New Year's Day from YouTube. I did that. And then I'm like, okay, now time to play 1984 from Bowie. And after I did that, I felt like I accomplished something 10 minutes later. And then I went and told my parents who didn't care. I'm like, hey, you know what I did? It's 1984. I just played 84 from Bowie at New Year's Day from U2. And they're like, hey, uh, isn't it time for bed? So, good you know, point. This is why we listen to July morning in every July. By why he's very sentimental. Right. <laughs> it's like... Same, same reason. And I will tell you actually what I did uh, 1984, New Year's. I remember. I know. I was seven years old. I was almost seven years old. It was the first time I stayed up past midnight uh, that I remember for New Year. In former Yugoslavia, they used to have uh, special things on TV, you know. They would have a movie right after uh, after midnight, maybe starting at like 12.30, and it would be a special movie, you couldn't see it different times. 
And uh, I was the only one to stay awake, actually. My parents fell asleep, my sister fell asleep, and I saw the movie, a tender age of seven, called The Rollerball. James Cotter? I love that. <laughs> very, very violent, very not not appropriate for seven year old James and it stayed <laughs> and it stayed in my memory forever. So you say so, that I got another connection. So that's for you. like uh, don't judge my parents, you know, no. it was a different time, it was much more open. I think, you know, kind of finding a good the balance between that time and this time is is uh, good, but yeah, we were James kind of unleashed. We, we watched everything, so, so that was my 1984 beginning. I think kind of kind of is connected to that George Orwell. But that's okay. <laughs> we, we're okay to move around a bit, but yeah. on James Con. So when I was a kid, the first movie I ever saw that left that weird violent impression was a movie called The Killer Elite. It came out in like '76, '77. My older brother would take me to the movie theater where I would just get in with him. It was I wasn't supposed to see an R movie. It was in it was on Jamaica Avenue, and I it made such an impression. A very violent movie, but James Caan plays a like CIA guy who gets but he's like a contract kind of guy, and he gets betrayed by another contract kind of guy, and he's taking his revenge in that movie to figure out what's really going on here. I was so fascinated. So in public school in America. We would do, you know, they'd have show and tell. Show and tell, you either come in and show something like, hey, look, I, I got this, you know, this toy or this. Or you say, hey, I went to the museum. So I remember, like, the teacher's like, anybody on the tell thing? I'm like, yep, me. I get up in front of the classroom and I'm like, yep, saw the killer elite with James Kahn. And, and he gets shot in the kneecaps and then he recovers and then he goes and tracks down all the other guys and all these guys are shooting at each other. And the teacher's like, what the heck? So when they had parent-teacher conferences, like a little note on my report card going, well, well, who's, how's he saying this? You know, my, my parents are like, I'm not sure. Oh, I don't know. And then um, it catches up. But So James Kahn, besides, you know, being a guy in The Godfather in that scene, I came to him through a... But Rollerball, I didn't see. You probably saw Rollerball before I did. When I saw that, I'm like, great. Very apocalyptic. I'm like, very, I'm like, this is great. Futuristic as well in an Orwellian way. In an Orwellian yeah, way. Having not. a sport to blow <laughs> off steam. And I was in, and at that time, no, before that, everyone was into roller skating. Yeah. So it's like roller skating. Was a remake of that movie also. You know, but it was, it was like, I was, I was like roller skating, but then I was like, wow, rollerball looks really difficult. Not like cutting heads and like. No. No. But it is a dystopian possibility, yeah. and it does take into account a 1984 yeah. animal form yeah. and type of life. Coincidentally, I saw it on New Year's 1984. Right? We are allowed to take off ramps and on ramps as long as we go like into and out of our subject and, and beyond and beyond, because this is essential information. Right? Essential information. Right? When go you around. lack when you lack content, you can't do this. Yeah. And that's why, you know, this is the show for people to listen to when you want to catch, catch the roundabout. roundabout.